0: And that undoing is part of the painting, obviously. It's sort of organic. It's almost like, you know, we are the sum of all the good and bad deeds we've committed in our lives. And that's what makes us great, you know, and interesting and special. So that's how I think of the paintings.
1: Hey, welcome to the Art Grind Podcast. This is a podcast run by artists for artists where we talk about what it means to be one. My name's Sophia Kayafis. I'm Marshall Jones. And we're here with our producer, Ton Myei. We're three artists living and working in New York City, and this is being recorded on the fly in between our many jobs and creative endeavors. We use this podcast to ground us in a space where there are so many ways to lose yourself. So join us. We have real conversations with artists we admire on the art grind. Hello.
2: Hey, Peter. How you doing? Marshall. Good to see you. Thanks for
0: coming on. Hi, Sophie. Good to meet you.
1: Good to meet you, too. Thanks for talking with us today.
0: My pleasure.
2: So there it is. There's the big painting I see on Instagram all the time. That's so nice.
0: There's actually three. Yes. So there's, you know, let me see if I can hold my computer up a little bit. But there's the one there. Mm Mm-hmm. One on the floor. Mm. And then one on the other wall over there. Wow.
2: So how, how are you working on these? Are you just uh, a little bit each, each
0: session on each one or are you? Yeah, there's no plan. It was, it was um, you know, I began them in maybe 2010, 2011, around there. What, you know, they got interrupted because um, I, I started working with a gallery, you know, started working with a gallery and we were planning ahead. So I needed a show to work on my, the first show with them. And this other large painting I'd sort of already started, I, th- I focused on that, that sort of became relevant. Hmm. And so I was going to work on these for the second show, but then I broke my ankle. So I sort of put them on hold for a little bit and then we moved studios and it just sort of each thing interrupted. Wow. But then this summer, my, I mean, a sort of a large studio here that, I sh- that we sort of, I share with my wife, Mariah is also an artist. Hmm. And she and Marigold were going to be, in michigan for three weeks so i just decided to take the opportunity to just take over the studio and sort of invest energy for a week into each one and just get them get get back into them and get get them moving again so that's what i've been doing i think they're stunning i mean
2: they I, they, yeah. they, they hang together so well in terms of color and rhythm and i've loved seeing the the progress of them
0: on online you know yeah Where's your Where's your studio? It's in Saint Albans in Queens. Oh, do you know it?
2: I lived in Queens for years, but it was Sunnyside. I don't know Saint Albans.
0: Yeah, it's it's not. No one really knows knows of it. It's sort of it's it's a you know we're the only white guys in the area, so it's the people in the area that we've met and become friends with, which which is a very friendly area. Hmm. And um, you know people were surprised we moved in but it's actually like a family the area like people grow up here and they move away and they come back it's so it's just got that it's just an an energy that's unlike anything i felt in new york oh that's great it's it's like a it's the first time i felt where i that i live truly in a home in a community that i feel like it's really home in new york oh wow so it's um we're very lucky
2: Yeah. I've never had that feeling in New York. Is it, is it a house then? Is it an actual house?
3: It's a building.
0: It's a building. Wow. It's a building. It's a, we've got three floors. Wow. We live on one and we have a studio on one. And then we have like the basement, which is a wood shop and, you know, a, a sculpture area and a, and a, a, a dye area. My wife's a fashion designer. So she dyes fabric down there. Hmm. and you know it's it's sort of all sorts of things up all the fun things really happen downstairs actually. Hmm. So uh, I guess before we get too much
2: into the paintings I'd like to hear a little bit about how you came up and and got interested in painting I mean I, I know you're from Australia but uh, yeah. where, whereabouts
0: and so I, um, I grew up in Brisbane do you know how well do you know Australia? I don't know it well i mean of course i i know of i've heard
2: of brisbane but i've never been to australia so okay. have you sophie
1: yes i've been to australia my partner's from australia and i went to um sydney oh really there.
0: that's so yeah. cool yeah that's it's amazing a beautiful
1: country really incredible yeah. relationship to nature you, you all have
0: yeah and that's you know and that relationship to nature sort of like i was thinking about this morning sort of weirdly without me thinking about it has directed my you know what i'm interested in 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 terms of the, the subjects i'm interested in
1: and color uh, now
0: i definitely it's color like the, my friends in australia think i'm still painting with an australian palette even though i've been here for 23 years but
1: yeah, that crossed my mind when i was looking through your website it's kind of glowing Okay.
2: What what would that mean an Australian palette? Like what what are I understand
0: in terms of color but what what would those colors be? So it changes depending on where you're from. So Brisbane's more up north and the color gets brighter. And then the um if you go into the center, if you if you look at Aboriginal artists their color can be very obviously earthy because they're using ochres and sort of um, pigments they find in the land. Hmm. But, they're, but even the acrylics that they're using now, are, they're still sticking to their traditional palettes, a lot of the artists. But then there's a, a lot of contemporary Aboriginal artists have moved to intense polymers and acrylics and things. And then if you go south towards, you know, Sydney still seems to be pretty bright in terms of its palette. And then if you get to Melbourne and Adelaide, it gets a a little bit more like a London palette, Hmm. you know, a bit darker, a bit more subdued, a lot more greys. So it's, you know, you can sort of almost tell where the artists are from by their palette.
3: Hmm.
2: That's really interesting. So in yours being that kind of glowing, bright, what's, what, what is Brisbane in terms of like, is it a,
0: a large city or is it quite rural or where? So it's, a, it's a city. It's, it's, I think now about 1.5 million. Okay. pretty. It's a, you know, a strange city. I never felt comfortable there growing up. And I basically just wanted to leave. You know, that was my sort of general feeling. Um, but it's a it's a sunny city it's it's subtropical you know so it's great weather hmm. there's no real winter it's sort of you you put on a you know like a jumper or something when it, in the, in winter but that's it there's no like melbourne sort of has four seasons but brisbane really has sort of one and a half seasons or maybe two <laughs> at best sydney sort when we when we were you in sydney sophia
1: sorry about that um... I was in Sydney, I think, two or three years ago.
0: What time of year?
1: Um, I think I must have gone for Christmas. So it was really, really warm.
0: Right. So It, it so was that, Christmas
1: and New Year's, yeah.
0: Yeah, so that's... The,
1: there's summer, right?
0: Summer, right through Australia, is really hot.
1: You had some amazing shrimps. That's all I know.
0: That's... Yep, that's good. It
1: ruined shrimps for me. I can't eat shrimps anywhere else. So. Oh,
0: is all right.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and lobster, no doubt.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: So, what was your
2: uh, desire to leave? That you said you wanted to leave Brisbane. What? What was the impetus behind that?
0: So I'd started drawing in Brisbane. I was working and just started life, just going to life drawing. I didn't do art at school, so I was like, just trying to feel my way and just work out who the hell I was, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, um, some friends that already traveled a bit around the world. So I sort of, I got the bug and the the country I went to first was India. Like that's the sort of the first country I was most fascinated with. So I went there and had a bit of a look around and then ended up, you know, heading over to Europe and having a look around there was meeting up some friends and, and, uh, Ended up settling in London, and um, that's when I really got into more serious drawing. Just you know, I picked up life drawing, but that one thing led to another, and eventually studying painting, and then that sort of led me to want to do it full time. You know,
2: hmm. were you at a program in London, or or just I was. Like,
0: I was doing it. Yeah, I was at a a, uh, a program at the City Literary Institute in Covent Garden. Okay. So it was just fun, like it was just, it was um, going to Covent Garden every week and and being in a class and just, I was working at the same time. So it just felt like a dream, you know, it was just, it was so much fun. Oh, that's great.
1: Uh, did you feel like your work was changing every time that you went to a new place?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. It has changed every, like I've moved around a bit and it's changed a lot because of that because of all sorts of reasons, but definitely that that's, it's changed as I've moved. When, when I was living in Melbourne, like I ended up doing undergraduate in Melbourne and I was there for four and a half years. And um, I tried to paint with color, like full, full like very intense color, but I, um, you know, you know, I obviously didn't know, know that much then, but um, I ended up just painting with grays. So they just sort of warm and cool graze but that felt right for the subject so which was sort of a melbourne landscapey subject matter you know and you
2: were working at that time in london with the figure primarily
0: yeah F- figure and sort of um still life figure and and landscapes but sort of inner city landscapes hmm. so facades of buildings and um i got a of a little bit involved with process like making drawings and then you know I had this teacher that was sort of pretty encouraging uh, of uh, experimentation and so I would put the drawings build the drawings up and then put them under a tap and wash them until they became almost pulp and then lay them out and let them dry and then continually and then work on them more and then repeat the process and sort of trying to, um, I think I was thinking about rust at the time. So trying to come up with a process that um, spoke to the, the where the deterioration of a, of a material in the way that rust occurs, you know?
2: Hmm. Like an erosion or something like changing through. Huh? So I like, when I look at your work, I I know that there's um, representational elements like you deal with uh, the brush fire and in themes. I see them as largely abstractions. What what would you call the type of work you do?
0: Is it what what plane does it exist on? So, I I think of them as sort of semi abstract because they. They're coming from nar- out of narrative. Mm. So it's always a narrative that underpins them. That's the that makes me want to meet them um, in the first place. That gets me excited, and it's got to be sort of personal.
3: Mm.
0: So I have trouble. I've tried, but I've had. I've, I don't seem to be able to, you know, read about events happening overseas, and even even though I might be. You know, I might care about what's happening. I I can't turn around and make a painting that feels like I'm I'm uh, sufficiently engaged, or that 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 I'm excited enough, or um, obsessed enough with the painting. You know, in that emotional sense. So they all come out of some personal experience. So the like the bushfires really began when I was visiting my aunt in Canberra. And there'd been some the um, some bushfires around Canberra. And so one day she took me on a bit of a tour. We drove around, you know, and looked at all the devastation. And so, I, so some paintings came and I made some drawings and some paintings came out of that. And then um, one of my professors in Melbourne lived up in Marysville, which is sort of, you know, outside of Melbourne. And... I'd stayed over at his place and my wife and I'd stood over and, you know, he was a, he had a studio there and he was sort of um, laughed at a little bit by the community for his, his belief that he could sort of protect his world up there from bushfires. Hmm. He had 50 acres on the side of a mountain. And he, what he did is he planted instead of planting indigenous trees, he planted fire retardant, you know, um, bushes and trees and things hmm. and he sort of designed his whole all his his um, structures on the property specifically so that they he could defend against bushfires and um, it was um, Black Saturday where a lot of people died and this massive bushfire through that area of, of uh, Victoria and his place was the only one that sort of survived really but the fire went right through yeah And he had all his artwork there and so it would have been, you know, he would have lost everything, you know, maybe of his life, but he didn't. So, and then some other friends, another artist friend of mine lives up that way. So I sort of was up there the year after and, and, um, you know, we, we again looked around and heard a lot of stories from people who experienced it. So I sort of got pretty involved in it. And that was the sort of the, the beginning of these three paintings.
2: Hmm. I didn't even know you could get a bush that was fire retardant. I didn't even know if such a thing existed. <laughs> yeah,
0: there's some some trees literally go up like a bomb; they explode like a bomb, and others are retardant. So it's it's, it's there's a, there's a range. Wow. Hmm.
2: So then, so then uh, you're you're in London, and I know you. Well, obviously, you're in New York now, but you you came to the uh, studio
0: school as I understand right yeah that's right so after studying in Melbourne I then I ended up at the studio school what brought you there so I got a um, I basically got a scholarship a, let- a letter from the, the Dean and the and just offering me um, some money to basically come so free tuition so that was sort of made it possible really. <laughs>
1: Did
0: they contact you or did you apply? So I um, I had gone the summer before for a summer program. And then I left and went back to Melbourne to finish off. I had an extra year. When I did undergraduate, I then did, got, got asked to do honors, which is like an extra year. So I went and did that. And then um, I think I'd... I'd entered a a painting, a large painting in a um, competition in the Art Gallery in New South Wales, which is in Sydney. You would have gone there, Sophia, when you were in Sydney. I hope. (laughs) And um, anyway- You're you're muted, Sophia. Uh, uh,
1: We did, it was amazing.
0: Yeah, so (laughs) it was a big landscape. The sort of the the main landscape prize in Australia is at the Art Gallery in New South Wales every year. And so this painting got in, and it was a big painting and they hung it in the, sort of the entry room to the exhibition. So it sort of, it, it looked good, you know? Anyway, the um, the Dean of the studio school happened to be in Sydney. I, I was at the opening or at like a lunch or something with the artists-
1: No way. For that
0: show. And I bumped into another artist who I'd never met before. And we got talking. And as we sort of shared our stories, and I'd sort of said, I was at the studio, I went to the studio school summer program the year before. He said, well, actually the Dean is staying with me right now. And so I'm like, that's, that's unbelievable. And he goes, do you want me to hook you up? So he hooked us up and we met at the gallery and the Dean really liked the fact that my painting was in the, this museum. And so I sort of got back to Melbourne and a couple of weeks later, this letter just arrived wow I didn't, I didn't apply or anything It
2: just, that's
0: freaking amazing got, that's crazy. it's got very lucky
2: that's amazing uh that's a school that i i i never been to but i love the history of that school like the, i want to go
1: to that school at some point <laughs> in my life
0: yes yeah well, if it ever if it ever opens up again the um they have a lecture program sophia that's pretty pretty good like the and it's sort of in the big drawing studio, so you sort of go in there and you, your clothes get dirty, and, you know, it's, it's it's fun.
1: Yeah, it sounds incredible. Every time I look up pictures about this, I think they don't really do like a drawing marathon yeah. in
0: the
1: summer. That looks have, so
3: amazing.
1: At the
0: beginning of every semester, they have these drawing marathons to get sort of the energy of all the students up and focused, and it's a good idea. Yeah we had uh Kyle Staver who teaches there on the
2: podcast at one point. Okay. She's great. Yeah. Um so th- was that Graham Nixon at the, the, was that yeah. the- So that's as I understand that kind of came from Hans Hoffman. and then you know you had that big sort of hub of a lot of the New York School abstract painters like uh Elaine de Kooning and Grace Hartigan and those type of people. And then,
0: and now is it a little more of a figurative school than it it was? Yeah, the school was found actually founded by Mercedes Matter. Yeah. So she and she was still there. I got very lucky. I got there. So I went there in the summer of 97 and back to study full time in 98. And I stayed until 2001 and they were all still alive, all the founding teachers so there was it's
1: amazing
0: it's amazing and they were all they were you know they were old but they were sharp as a tack and um mm-hmm. mercedes matter was the found the founder and rosemary beck charles gajori um who else was there you know there's a whole bunch um andrew forge was in the mix um louis finkelstein leo steinberg so there, there were it was there was a really strong sort of intelligent body of people thinking about art, like Andrew Forge and Leo Steinberg and Louis Finkelstein and people like that, you know, John Elderfield would often come and talk. And, you know, there was always people you'd just read about who would be in there sitting right next to you talking Um. about, you know, what they thought about whoever Um. Bonnard or, you know, whatever was happening. And, um, but the, you know, Nick Caroni was a, one of the founding teachers so that the founding faculty were all sort of friends of Mercedes matter. Mm. So, so, you know, George McNeil um, was one Guston was in the mix there, but she was, you know, she, her father was sort of one of the first abstract expressionists Arthur B. Cole. So she, you know, he, through him as, as a, as a girl growing up, she was just growing up with the abstract expressionists in her, in her world. And so she got to know them all and Mm -hmm. so she sort of had all these people come through and teach she Uh, had like
1: connections
0: she had unbelievable connections um estevan vicente was still there teaching you know when i got there um who was one of the abstract expressionists so um it was very it was run as a so the idea was this it was run as a studio so you you go there you get a studio you paint every day and then your peers visit you. So in, it could be George McNeil or, you know, Chuck O'Connor or whoever, you know, um, and they would come in once a week and talk to you about your work, um, which I sort of loved. And the Graham Nixon came. So he he's from England. He's from London and figurative, as you know. And so the school has changed a bit. He sort of pushed it in the, that Campbellwell direction. Mm. Um, it's it's mostly figurative, you know. They don't really understand abstraction as such now. Jake Pateau oh. was there when I was there, so he understood abstraction. But you know, Kajori obviously did because he was sort of in that mix of the second generation abstract expressionists, as was Christine. Peter, really
1: Peter, what is abstraction?
0: Well, that's a great question. So, you know, most simply put, it's 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 non-objective painting. So where you can't identify something, you know, from the real world in the, in the, in the painting, it's, it's gone a bit, it's sort of. So if you go back to the early 20th century, where you had pure abstraction, if you look at the constructivists and, and Mondrian and the like, it's completely removed from the real world. So it's just shapes and, and, whether there's angles or verticals or horizontals or colors that could be a debate, but, but as it's progressed, it's become, you know, if you look at Per Kirkabee's work more recently, then it get they're letting abstract artists are letting more in of the <laughs> real world. Um, I personally think that's, you know, if you, if you, if you uh, remember that book by Frank Stella working space, how he's talking about, abstract art and it's sort of failure to to work out how it can stand up to the great figurative art what he's really getting at is is how do you get space into abstraction because as soon as there's space we start to read it like landscape so we're letting we're letting something into the real world so that's you know hoffman tried to you know he tried to defeat that by just using a shape going back and forth so he kept those shapes pretty clean um, maybe when he was really good so that the shapes push back and pull forward to keep it feeling abstract without let, you know, without letting too much of the world in,
3: Hmm.
0: but it's sort of, you know, the, you know, if you think of Mark Bradford and, um, uh, the you know lots of abstract painters. To now they're all now they're all letting stuff in.
3: Hmm.
1: And they've
0: got different ways of doing that. Um, Would yeah.
1: Mercedes Matter be upset about that?
0: She wasn't really abstract. <laughs> she she was sort of painting from Rosemary Beck started out being abstract and she moved from being abstract and went back to the figure, sort of in the late fifties, early sixties. Mm. Um, The MoMA has a really good large abstract painting of hers from the sort of mid-50s in its collection, though. But, you know, that, and that's an interesting time. Like, I find the female artists of the 50s, sort of just after that first burst of guys who got credited with abstract expressionism, the female artists like Lee Krasner and Joan Mitchell, to name a couple they I find them very interesting because they seem to let thing they seem to be reading the painting as it's going and to be open to what that's telling them to do as as the painting's evolving and so Uh there's a different type of as a and if you compare that to the way the you know 10 years before everyone was painting which is sort of this is what I do. And it, I sort of get full of energy and I do it. And it sort of en- always ends up looking like one of the things that I do. If you think of Rothko or Pollock with these drip paintings, or de Kooning or Franz Klein, they sort of, ex- it's performative and they execute. Hmm. So, so it has a, has a physical dance quality, but it's also a sort of rehearsed dance. They know what they're going to do. They, they they're going to do it differently every time every time, but this is the thing that they do. Whereas what I'm sort of more interested in, and I sort of got into this through looking at the female Aboriginal painters, was that there's there's much more of a of a relationship that the artist has with the work as it's developing. It's almost like a, a dialogue or a conversation.
1: Yeah. And you have to be the, open to listening to it.
0: There's listening, exactly, Sophia. So there's there's listening and giving up control. I don't know which way it's going to go. It's no longer can I, I work under the confines of good or bad or does it work or pulling it off or all the sort of things that were in the dialogue before.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it's much more open and um, I find much more exciting and interesting and so... You, you know, the, and I think that's a really recent thing in art history, like it's artists pretty much knew what they were doing. Um, and maybe if we go back to cave art, they didn't know what they were doing, but you know, there was a discovery in the, in the, in the moment. It's all, maybe there was something seen in the wall which they, they just made marks and um, allowed others to see it. But there's a, there's a, since, you know, for a long time, it's, it's artists have really known, they've worked out how to do it and then they just do it. Even the impressionists, you know, the, there's a something happening with the impressionists where they, you know, they go out and look at something, but they know how they're going to do it.
1: Would you say that abstraction is um, its own language? And if so, do you think painting... Like, you can't really separate it from painting, the language of painting?
0: Uh, That's a good question. Can we separate abstraction from the language of painting? So I can... I don't
1: think you can. Yeah,
0: I... I think you could have... I mean, you can certainly have abstract film and abstract photography. So different mediums, abstract music, you know, like... Maybe classical, we t- we could think of as some classical. We could think of as abstract, but um, not all. You know, not all classical, because most classical is very evocative of of uh, you know again landscape or or uh, things from the world. But but I do think painting has a real advantage over other mediums because of its tactility because of. The plasticity it, and it's um, the fact that it's in your space with you, you're sort of standing next to this living, breathing thing. So is yes, that is it more of like an intention
2: that that you, when you're looking at these paintings and you're talking about like um, a, a type of abstraction that you respond to? Is it the, the artist intent to learn as they go along and not, I mean, I think sometimes representation is a limiting, you know, it's like, uh, all of a sudden you took all the things that could be painted and turned it into a jar and a still life or something, you know, there's something very limited about that. And is it, is it the intent of just searching in abstraction that makes it exciting
0: it's, yeah, it's, it's um, I mean, the. Pro, I mean, I've sort of come up against this question in these three paintings because I started them sort of very early on after I dived into the Marysville uh, Black Sunday fires, The and, and I started sort of digesting it all. I was just working in the studio, and suddenly one painting turned there's one penny I was working on for a long time, a sort of smallish one, a couple of feet square. And it, it, it had been many, many, many different things over this period of time, none of which were quite right. And then suddenly it just came together. It sort of gelled and it became semi-abstract and semi-figurative. It had a, it had a sort of inference of some sort of crucifixion and maybe, maybe some sort of, you know, death in this in space. This Big shape that was sort of coming out of Marysville. Um, so there was like a, a, distillation of a few different things, and I think that's sort of ultimately the, the. Um, what's possible with abstraction is that because it's not, limited to, to painting things that are recognizable, and therefore I've got a really plan to do that. You can you can let all sorts of things come into the painting, yeah. at any point in time, and. The way they come in, it's almost they choose the way they want to be there. They choose how they're going to fit together. They it's, it's very, very um, out of the control of myself. And mm-hmm. it's and that's the, the issue I felt with these paintings. I've started to feel anyway, is that, you know, I had a, I had scaled up some parts of these smaller paintings because I thought I really need to put my whole body in the space of these paintings. I can't have these paintings being this big and sort of half my body size and, or a third of my body size and have them really affect me in any way. It's sort of, I'm sort of still relating to them intellectually. I'm like, well, that says this and that says that, but I, I need it to be removed from the intellectual. It has to be physical. And so I I, I was like, I've really got to put my body in these space and I've got to be wide and broad because my, I've, I've got to be able to stand up close and be surrounded by them. I can't have Hmm. a rectangle and then white space. It's got to be just all encompassing. And so, but the issue I've come up with is that they've got to go. I know they've got to go. They've got to sort of find themselves. So at this point I've been approaching them a certain way, um, but I'm still within the parameters of, of, of where I started with so I haven't quite left I haven't found a way to to get out of that place yet
3: hmm. I've
0: sort of taken a little bit of a step on one of them and it's may may have been a misstep but this is such a a question from a
2: representational painter like because um, I, I how do you know in a way what you're what you're going for and how do you know when you find it is it you know what i'm saying that's such a in a way such a dumb question from someone who paints objects but like
0: how what what guides you when you're doing it what are you feeling so it's it's so i've sort of spent a lot of a lot of time trying to be clear about just that question so it's um the end goal i don't really know i have a i have a sense of something that there's something here to be to be done like i've got this journey to travel and then i'm going to get somewhere it's going to be a worthwhile journey and the um each time i i work i don't really each time i come to the studio i don't really know what i'm going to do so Hmm. i've tried i've i've um stepped away from that idea of i'm going to do one two three today i'm going to work on this one today so really i wanted to get all three up so that i wasn't just focusing on having to just focus on one Um, and you know i've got lots of other things to work on as well so um but the the um it's so it's sort of like just getting myself present in the space
1: like clinging to a state of mind
0: yes trying not to cling to a state of mind
1: oh okay
0: so it's 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 really coming out of just meditating and and trying to just be fully present and remove the all the ideas the preconceptions from my out of my mind and be completely in the moment and sort of just let the painting talk to me Hmm. and the the uh sort of five second rule like i'll get a I will okay I've got to do this and I've got to act on it straight away
1: what about these ideas of like um, the will and like humility
0: well the I think that I think that you know they're sort of like opposites but the same in a weird way yeah so the the uh, humility is a sort of the um letting go and listening and being directed by the painting, Mm. even though I might feel like this will ruin the painting. So there's sort of a lot of humility in the fact that I might take a wrong step and undo something that's really good. That's actually working. And so there's, but the, but there's that will inside you that you feel like you've, you've, you've there's still ambition and there's determination and there's, there's a, Choice, but choice, and there's the, the desire to see it through, mm. and so the um, and it's sort of to see it through, maybe in a dysfunctional sense, but it's to see through this relationship that develops between me and each painting. Like I feel like I'm actually I get myself to the point where now we're in this relationship and it's dysfunctional. It's not, it's not just um, one dimensional anymore where I'm doing this and you, and you do what I want you to do. It's, it's now you're, I feel hurt. Sometimes I feel disappointed. I feel like a range of emotions mm. and, um, it's and seeing that through to some sort of, end that we, that I feel that we both have some sort of say in and, uh, feel good about.
1: I really like how you answered that. I was talking to another artist the other day and she was saying, um, how it was like a relationship as well. That it's a relationship with the painting. And I said, oh, it reminds me of, you know, a lover and coming back to that lover and waking up in the morning and being exciting to see it and having those difficult moments as well.
0: Yeah, I think of it very much in that way. Like it's, there's gotta be, the humility is, there's gotta be complete vulnerability and risk and, you know, all the things that we, that we feel when we're in a committed relationship, it's, 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 you know, it takes guts sometimes
3: Hmm.
0: just to say the simplest thing to, so there's all of that in there. And I sort of, I feel very strongly about that. Like it's to, to have that sort of um, interaction in the making of this thing makes it other people feel it. When, when they see the work it's it's not just now an image that of something or that that people can look at and understand in their head it's it goes to a different level
3: hmm.
1: Hmm. I was talking to Marshall yesterday about painting and yeah. talking about you and I said something he's he wanted me to mention this as well but like the bigger the idea In a a paint, a lot of paint. We paint so many different paintings. Some are small. Some are accidental. Some are purposeful and willful. Some are tortured. But it seems to me like the bigger the idea, the bigger the net. As if you're throwing a net out into this ocean, and you start pulling in these fish. And there's so many fish in the big idea. It's so heavy to pull that in. Um, I don't know if you could talk about that if in any dimension.
0: Well, um, it actually reminds me of a painting by Malcolm Morley. Do you know? Do you know Malcolm Morley? No, so he was no. a he was a um, photo realist in the '60s. He started out painting um, cruise ships, but he ended up becoming a neo-expressionist. And so there's one painting that he made, which was of a fishing boat with a great big net hauling in fish. Um, huge painting. Um, which I was sort of inspired by at one point, Um, but the, you know, there is a, there is a weight of, of um, taking on a large idea. Like, like to me, this is a, to me, the bushfire, like I, a few, uh, like I, when I went to the studio school, weirdly enough, the thing, you know, I had a, a good bunch of years there and, the um, the, f- the formal language is what they're very strong at talking about. And so I picked up a lot of that there like I got very lucky with my teachers and but the other thing I came away from was a sort of a, um, a, a feeling that I have always had, but it sort of was prevalent there was to, the need to rebel against authority. And so that that sort of didn't really, it's it sort of came out in many ways, but didn't really, I didn't really understand it and and and, and it didn't really have the chance to play out until um, Occupy Wall Street, when I was going down there and drawing and whatnot, and did and felt that I was I was ineffective and and sort of wasting hmm. my time. But I was working on a very large painting at the time based on that I'd sort of begun based on Bellini's Feast of the Gods in Washington. And that, that story is from, the story that's based on is from Ovid, and it's all about a, a bunch of gods that meet up in the forest and have a debaucherous dinner, and one of them decides to take a, and everyone falls asleep, and including the, the gorgeous nymph in the corner, and one of the gods decides to jump on her while she's asleep. And so it's sort of, I realized in this painting were all the issues that were making me angry about the world, and that my way of dealing with it is really through the painting. And so I sort of dived into that painting. Um, and then these paintings, that, that was the painting I sort of um, worked on when I, when I was working with that, that gallery. These paintings went on hold. And I was always then starting to question, why am I painting these bushfire paintings? Is it just, you know, is it, is it enough that, that um, I'm painting these paintings because... I'm, I'm, I, f- I care about these bushfires and people I know are affected. And it was sort of last year that I was in the course of this reading, I came across a, um, a convict poet who wrote a poem um, in 1796 or something, I think it was. And it was the first time that a, the, the idea or the, the idea of a bushfire had been used as a symbol for revolution. And so suddenly, the bushfire—you know—the the, these images that I was working on took on this other symbolism, uh, possibility that yeah, this is exactly what I'm trying to work with. Is is how can I come up with ways through painting to deal with the things that are going on in the world now? And so the bushfires became this this other this other sort of way. And so this you know these big ideas I feel unfold very slowly. Um, and I find if I rush things, they they end up being superficial, and there's not enough in them. So they, they I seem to have to deal with them very slowly and almost let. It's it's not really about the painting. It's really about the events in the outside world have to have to change me. Mm. So you, you, there's yeah. there's kind of a lovely
2: contradiction. That you were say you like a, a painting, start as an idea, or like you were saying, something personal. And the brush fire is a big idea that even you know it turns into revolution and in bigger concepts. And then, but you're saying when you're actually working on it, you're attempting to eliminate all ideas out of your head.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that doesn't make sense, but it's it's. I'm trying to be in the moment in the studio, and literally listening to the to the painting. So, um, and it happens best when I walk into the studio. So I walk into the studio, and I haven't seen the painting yet that day. And I walk in, and and suddenly I see it differently. And I'm like, wow, there's got to be. I've got to get that color. Undo this, 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 and this, and this exactly like that there and if I'm disciplined and and you know my mind's in the right place I'll just do that exact exact thing in that as sort of as quickly as I can like I I don't mess around and and like I said it could ruin the painting but Mm. doing it now you know the first time it happened was was when I my wife's from Tucson, and we used to go there very regularly, like to, to stay with her parents and visit her parents. And, that's, and they live in the, um, in the foothills in Tucson, so in the Sonoran Desert, sort of. And, and the area where they live is, is, is very. Um, uh, they've tried to be as, as, as un, un- un- uninvasive as possible. So in the building of the houses, so they've kept the desert in its state. And so every time we visit, I'll just work in the desert, and I've never been able to make an image there that feels right. And, uh, you know, it could, it'll look like it, but it doesn't feel like being in the desert because the desert's so complex and interesting in so many ways. And um, it wasn't until sort of maybe a few months after one of those trips, and this is going back like 13 or 14 years that I was mixing a color on my palette. And suddenly I had this urge to, to go and find this panel that I'd sort of turned to the wall in the corner of my studio and put that color in a certain way on that panel. And when I did, the whole thing just popped and it became the Sonoran Desert. Hmm. And and you know, a, a couple in the Sonoran Desert bought it and they, they were like, this is exactly the Sonoran Desert, but it's not an image of anything in the Sonoran Desert. And it's that distillation that that I feel is really possible in abstract painting. Yeah.
3: Mm.
0: And mm. it sort of can't be planned. So there's, it's not that I don't want there to be, you know, the greatest so- social um, issues involved in these paintings or the bushfires involved in the paintings or anything else. It's just that I've got to find my way. There's got to be some distillation where the parts that want to be prevalent and take dominant roles or supportive roles the way it needs to it, it needs to work out how it wants to be so so the way the way that you're talking about
2: is there are moments in your painting where you'll put a stroke in and it just sort of activates the whole thing like springs. Yeah. but that seems so so difficult to find those moments and then know how to kind of hold on to them. You know, they seem very delicate,
0: those moments. And they, and they often get lost. Hmm. So that, so they, it, it's, you know, they could end as being a step to something else, you know? Hmm. So there's, it's the, you know, there's the, the formal stuff that's happening and the material stuff that's happening. For example, I might, I've been trying to really, stay thin with this with these paintings not let them build up too quickly but that large painting that I made you know uh coming out of the Occupy Wall Street it got very thick at one point and I just had to get a belt sander out and you know sand the whole thing off and you know it didn't completely remove everything so there was still a lot to work with but you know and that was just this point I came to one day I'm like I just have to get, I just have to sand this thing back. Like Mm. I, so, and then, you know, doing that sort of you, you're getting rid of all this hard work. So it's, it's, uh, (laughs) it's definitely freeing. (laughs) Wow,
2: I'm so inspired by this, like the way that you think and the way that you work is so exciting to me coming from it, from a, a more of a representational angle Do do you, if this is a big kind of clumsy question, let me know, but it sounds like you're listening and almost like I've I've been in church services that do like a call and response. And then you're talking about emptying yourself out and just sort of like, I guess, reacting maybe is the right word, but there's an emptiness to it, to a degree. Is there, does this exist on a plane that you feel like you paint better when you're in a, in a more
0: sensitive emotional state or a a clear emotional state? No, I don't. I don't. um, I certainly don't paint well if I'm agitated. Hmm. So my mind's, you know, if something's going on in my life and I'm, I can't get it out of my head, then I've got no business being in the studio really. But, Hmm. but, you know, I'll have often I have friends visit, other artists visit who I'm close to and we never sit around and talk. Like we come in, we sit down, we get a cup of tea, and then I start painting. Like I, I, and it's not intentional, but that's, I just, it's something about the, they just start talking and I start painting and Hmm. I'm talking with them, but I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that they're there and we're having a conversation distracts me from you know keeps me from being attached I guess hmm. so there's a there's a sort of a disinterested disinterested disinterestedness that comes in that that I fall into hmm. which I think's re- a really good place to be
1: when I'm looking at your paintings Peter I feel like no matter where I am and you know on your website what part of time or what series it is it always seems like you're exploring something, yeah. And you're really curious, and you're you're not committed in the way that you're like I have to find the answer, but you're committed to exploring. And they always seem substantial in that way. All of these different groupings of paintings. Um, I don't know. I just really like
0: that about your work. Thanks, Sophia. It's you know it's something I've, I've wondered about. Is that a good strategy? <laughs> um, but I, but but it's just who I am. I can't help it. So I'm I'm I seem to be endlessly curious about stuff. Like I go to shows and I'm just you know fascinated by other people's work. Or I go to the Met and I'm fascinated by everything. Um, I'll walk around and there's always something that's interesting me that I want to dive into, and I'm just excited by it. And so the you know I've often. Th- And and, uh, there's been times where, say, um, I made a bunch of larger sort of paintings after I had my second trip to the Australian desert, and they all came out sort of pretty quickly, um, you know, not years, but sort of I began them, and maybe within a year I'd finished most of them um, and that was sort of a coherent body. Like there were sort of ten large ones and ma- and, a, and a bunch of smaller ones. So there was sort of a good a good group. But but um, normally, and I've I've sort of lately the last year I've become very interested in sort of the figure, but not from an external point of view, from an internal point of view. So really, how do I? how do I, am I, am I really this, these narrative paintings that I'm making that I think of as abstractions, but they're source out of narrative. Are they really, are they, am I really going back to, or drifting towards the body again sort of internally? And so how, do, how do I begin thinking about that? And that's sort of been an evolution over a lot of years through drawing mainly, but it's begun happening in the painting. So, you know, there's always that curiosity and I always, I never feel like I know how to do it, but each time I do it, it's sort of something works, <laughs> but then I don't consciously go, okay, that's how I did that. I'm right. do the same thing again. Yeah. It's just, doesn't interest me that way, that thing. So,
1: well, they feel so fresh, I think because of that. And I wanted to kind of ask you to speak a little bit about the tactility of your work. Some of your paintings are more thin, but, or just maybe one, one sitting, it seems like it's just very fresh. They feel really fresh. Um, But other paintings are super, super worked and they become almost sculptural. Could you talk about the material a little bit?
0: Well, that's, you know, the, your observation spot on the, um, they They've always been tactile. So the the um, even as an undergrad, right from the word go, I seemed to want to work with my hands, and so I I had to find ways to get my hands in the painting um, very early on. So, um, you know, I would just scoop up clumps of paint and just wipe it on with my hands, and um, the tactility has changed now I'm sort of I'm looking at a few paintings I did sort of maybe six or seven years ago and the brush in these ones I would sort of float across a sort of more heavily built up surface so I could sort of um, feather across layers of paint and you know that that does things with in terms of light and depth and all sorts of things. And the thing that's happened over the last sort of maybe I'm just trying to think when certainly four or five years or maybe a little bit more is that um, I think the first time it happened was just doing watercolors on the beach and sand got into the watercolors. And I liked the, the, the tactility of the sand with the, with the thin watercolor. And then, of course, the sand came to my studio and started getting to the oil paintings. So that's added a whole other layer of sort of crustiness or um, <laughs> to the paintings.
2: What is your most and like the thing that you find the most important to capture in your work? Would like. Color relationships, or rhythm, or shapes.
0: What? It's some um, presence. 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 So, so they they have to feel like they're alive and breathing, and there's a presence there. Mm. So almost like a, like the th- like going right back to an undergrad. I, you know, and just just to jump back to something you said before. Like, I think in second year I was working quite realistically and my uh, i became friends with this tapestry teacher in our art school and she one day said to me you know i made i made this work of my cousin who came to stay with me and it was realist and uh, she and i was sort of proud of it and uh, and she came up to me and just said you know you're showing off who you're kidding that's not that's not who you are as an artist who you are as an artist is over here mm. where you're really moving us you know mm. And so maybe she was right, maybe she was wrong, but but it's it's you know the um, even back then I I was obsessed with well how do I make a landscape and make it feel like there's a person in the landscape without being literal and just plonking the person in the landscape, mm. and so it it sort of I couldn't do it, so I, it ended up just being a landscape without a person in the landscape, but the the idea that there's there's a presence without it being a literal person painted, hmm. is still something I often think about. So I sort of have to sense that the, there's someone has entered the painting.
1: Mm. So, I was talking to Lisa Labovsky, another artist who paints kind of kind of plays with this abstraction and the possibilities of what could happen in the painting eventually they do become representational but they're often of nature often without a figure and she really is talking about the same thing that you are just now that there's this feeling that there's a presence the viewer is the presence and the image is aware of that and allows us to kind of go inside
0: yeah The, the viewer would need to therefore be engaged in a certain way by the painting. Mm. It it couldn't just be passive. Mm. So the so the the um getting the viewer to do more than just walk you know walk past the painting or to see the painting and and go okay that's about this and this and this and then move on. That's a that's a big challenge. How do you how do you reach inside the viewer you know, one thing, one thought I've had a, a lot of is how is I'm not really making an, Im, a, a, an image. I'm not inventing an image. I'm not creating an image. What I'm really doing is making visible an image that's already there. It's already inside me, mm. and and in this weird form that we are in presently, there's some distillation of experiences going on that makes me feel a certain way about events. And how do I how do I um, manifest that through materials? Hmm. So my my job's more as a conduit to make something that's already in existence visible And so that and when and I feel like I've succeeded because people get it they also it's also inside them. Hmm. It's not just inside me, it's inside hmm. everyone so who
2: who in art history do you feel like gets? gets close to that what
0: I- images do you feel like get close to that so that's a yeah that's a good i knew you were gonna ask that question <laughs> i didn't i didn't have i don't have an answer so but um there's a a tr- the trilogy by andrei Rublev. oh yeah in uh the the in moscow um and there's different other russian icons that i think do it hmm. um there's um wow there's uh the i mean there's sort of been paintings that i've had experiences with that have i felt got up to that level like the view of toledo by el greco
2: mm, i don't know that um,
0: one it, it's uh it's in the mat um the and and i went to Toledo and tried to work out how he made that painting. So I literally traveled around to try and find out where that view is from. And there's no such view. It's sort of a compressed space when you sort of get there and try to understand what's going on. Mm. Um, I
1: love that you just said the Trinity icon. I love that icon.
0: Yeah, it's 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 um, very moving. Um, there's, um, the Titian Pieta the mm. late painting he made that was going to be hanging in the, in the church where he was to be buried. Um, that's, that has some real, like, like you said before, the fear, empathy and mm. gravitas to it. I've uh, seen
1: this before as well. This is right before he died. He was like kind of going blind.
0: Yeah. Um, but I'm sort of I sort of look at I mean the, the late Goya black paintings
3: mm-hmm.
0: there's sort of a group of them at the at the uh, Prado sort of upstairs um, when I was last there that just they sort of just make you stand still you just sort of have to stand still and breathe and take them in and mm. um, there are some Turner paintings where they sort of become very abstract Yeah. Um, And a game with some constables. Lately, I've been, I've been, you know, I just got obsessed with the Cézanne drawing show and just how he approached being an artist, like how he um, almost, almost sort of um, entered the activity of being an artist, a game with curiosity, like you were saying, and didn't really know how to do stuff and just sort of accepted the fact that, okay, I don't know how to do this. How will I, how can I work out how to do this? Mm-hmm. And so he, you know, rejected the academic training and just kept it, kept it at the sort of personal, um, di- at a personal level, he was dialoguing with his peers and with the masters basically and with nature. And so his, his sort of life's work became this sort of, um, unfolding of, of things that he learned and never really knowing how to do it. Um, which sort of, which sort of, and you can sort of see it in those drawings. He's always each, you know, each level you get to, he's sort of still asking questions and trying new things and, and uh, trying to work it out. Do you think that's one of the dangers of uh,
2: academic training is you, lose you start
0: following maps and lose a sense of discovery it's you know it's 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 risky academic training because it's it depends on the personality of the student really like it can be great if you've got the personality that's going to you know take these gifts that someone else gives you and put them to your own you know be, be clear about the the, the reasons why you 're doing this and what your your sort of your mission is, and then put these gifts towards that mission but the the thing I think that 's happened sort of since the mid nineteenth century is that there's there 's no longer a separation, and so the the academies in in paris and then in, in england and whether you know there was a train a training of the um, student about it this is the particular way to do something then the the academic you know the the artists once they started practicing had to find sort of a a subject to then put this method onto Hmm. and Hmm. the really good ones pulled it off like Jack David pulled it off in a way and he sort of became the, the the torch barrier for a while for the revolution but it was in a simplest sort of way like he was sort of making images that were metaphors for something. Mm. whereas And so there was still that separation. Whereas the with the impressionists, something happened where there was now no longer a separation allowed or toler- tolerable by society in a way. And so it's almost like I find each artist has a duty in a way to find their own way of doing it. And it doesn't mean they can't we we can't be educated and learn stuff but at the end of the day we've still got to be disciplined enough to still make it our own and that's that's the danger i think of academic training is is how far will artists go to once and, and the, the problem with academic academic training is it sort of works <laughs> that, is that it looks like something and it's impressive sort of it, it it's it's effective it's it's impressive but then so how do you get away from that?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you're getting you're getting something straight away. People like it. People are gonna say great stuff about it. But but how do you how do you make it your own? How do you work out what's mine and what's what's necessary to be in there yeah. given the subject and who I am?
1: That's what I was talking to Marshall Bell yesterday, actually. I really struggle with representation and have for a while but I'm ca- starting to kind of lean into it and trust the imagery that's coming out. Um, but there's still this kind of disconnect where it's like the way I'm painting is not my own yet. Like right. the drawing feels like speaking English, but painting feels like speaking Greek. And I don't know Greek very well. <laughs> it, I can recognize it. I can understand what people say to me. I can even read it, but I don't know how to converse in it in a fluid way that's my own. Right. And until I can I won't be able to speak with confidence.
0: How do you describe your work then?
1: Oh
0: my god. I'm looking at it here online and
1: I don't know. I think it's very symbolic. And I and I I feel like it's used to be way more abstract and now it's becoming more symbolic and literal at the same time yeah they're like overlapping and i'm embracing that but i'm looking for a feeling um a lot of the decisions and choices that i'm making have to do with listening to the image the way that you've been talking about to us all this this past hour
0: yeah
1: yeah i don't know
0: it sounds like you're in a good place
1: yeah well like it's going very slowly, place,
0: a vulnerable place where you found a way to get yourself into a place where you don't know so much, and therefore, in the moment, the the only the answer will only ever be therefore in the moment. Mm. The only feeling of sort of like of of uh, gravity or of, of of this is where I am is actually in the moment in the painting. So the answer will come from that place which is a great place to be
1: mm. takes a lot of patience though that's what i'm finding almost feels like it's crawling by yeah the time i'm like oh my god what do we do now
0: this is you why spend i think i time
1: listening and not painting do i one you spend a lot of time listening and not painting
0: listening to the paintings
1: yeah just looking
0: oh yeah like i i you know i live with the painting, so. They're sort of in, in our building, there's some up, there's a, a lot upstairs, so I'm just looking at them all the time. Um, but I've been sort of you know just taking liter- listening to the listening level like I've been listening a lot to Radiohead the last um, twenty years really, or since I left London in ninety um, four and um, the as they've changed and their works changed. I feel that they've they've opened up the space. So they've opened up sort of color and light and space into their music. And that's sort of something I think about a lot is, is opening up the space. So and letting air and light and color into the space. And so, you know, the the listening's not just to do with my paintings. It's, it's a lot to, it's sort of everything. It's like I, I'll walk around the, um, you know, the Met or the MoMA or um, just looking at shows less much with much less, um, uh, you know, much less of an agenda these days. So I sort of don't necessarily go somewhere to see a show. I'll sort of make it, I feel like I'm just being much more social with the work that I'm looking at, sort of having more fun with the work and uh, And just noticing what I notice, not not having to see the show and come up with a you know an explanation or an understanding of the show, just letting myself well, actually I noticed that about this show and I, and, and not even having to say it's good or bad, just noticing what it is and 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 I feel because I notice it something that's mine to notice it was It's, it's, it's something that's now talking to me. Mm. and and it's talking to me for a reason so
1: that's so well said it's like you have to learn how to look at things we're always learning how to look actually in that way that solidifies our personhood it distills it more
0: yeah yeah it's all it's almost like discovering our sense of self through being um making ourselves open to others or being of service to others
3: mm. so
0: just through listening and looking
1: thank you marshall do you want to jump in here i got to charge my computer
2: yeah it, there was a statement i actually I, I want you to weigh in on this too sophia uh our, one of our past guests had this statement um Do you you know Israel Hirschberg? No, I don't. He's like a, he's a, well, (laughs) he's a representational painter. Um, I think he's in his eighties and he made beautiful images. And he was saying that a painting is about engaging in the experience of painting. And that's all that that was, what he would say unequivocally like it's not it shouldn't be sentimental it shouldn't tell me about who you are it should just be engaging in the experience of painting and that statement has kind of it was a couple of weeks ago we interviewed him has just stuck with me what what do you think
0: about that Peter well he's you know I, I don't disagree with what he's saying and and the the if I could, I'll bring up a couple of artists that we all know. So Sonia Delaunay and Robert Delaunay. Mm -hmm. So husband and wife team, but there's a, and painting the same way. So so they're both painting abstractly and one, one period, similar size shapes, similar palettes, but her work feels completely different to his work. And so they're both engaged in the act of painting. And what I find is that, that's in a way interesting about painting and it's 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 why in a way i think it's such a vast medium to work in um and it'll never get it'll never get uh sort of boring is that each artist when they engage with the medium painting what we're actually doing is just orchestrating endlessly you know relationships Hmm. two shapes this should be darker. This should be lighter. Oops, it's too dark. Too light. I'll make this one a little less light. And so we continually, you know, if you're putting, if you're painting the lips and you and you make it, you know, that that highlight too light, it's gonna it's gonna jump off the surface of the lip. And so even even the realist paint is is orchestrating all the parts so that the whole is unified and is convincing. Hmm. And and that can only happen if you sort of putting yourself into it it's only you that's measuring that that's tempering that and so it doesn't you know i think what um you know i i, I don't know exactly obviously what Hersh, what israel hirsch was talking about except that what he's really describing is the means by which we put ourselves in the painting ultimately hmm. it's, we can spell it out and make it you know a lot of, a lot of you know there's there's um realist Academic painters at the league who do that, they sort of put themselves in paintings and and sort of spell out a narrative. But we're not convinced by that. I'm never convinced by that. Like it's what I'm what I'm convinced by is the way these relationships of colors and shapes play out, what what feeling they're giving me.
2: Hmm. So it's almost like there's a story or a narrative just in the way that the shapes. The, the feeling that the shapes and colors give you is its own like underlying narrative. In yeah. And it's almost
0: a heartbeat. It's, 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 you know, that, um, that uh, painting by Bellini, the Feast of the Gods was, was um, painted over by his student Titian, because the, the patron didn't like the fact that Bellini's painting didn't fit with, it was to be in a certain room and he, and he didn't feel that aesthetically, it went with a bunch of Titian paintings that were also gonna be in that room. Hmm. And so back then the, the, pa- the, the owner of the painting could do whatever they want to the painting. And so he got Titian to paint over a whole bunch of that painting. And the, it, it wasn't until I was drawing that painting and getting right into it that I, I found that drawing very difficult to do because literally the rhythms were sort of, there were two different rhythms in the painting. One was Bellini's sort of heartbeat and one was Titian's heartbeat. Oh, wow. And it's in the painting. Hmm. And it, it sort of wasn't until I was like, that's what's going on that I was, I was uh, it was almost like this, the, the music was composed in two keys. Wow. And I had to sort of unlock that secret to be able to pull off the drawing. Hmm. But yeah. the, you know, I think it is what you're saying is true. It is, it is you know, it, those things are, the artist is in the work just through the shapes and tones and colors, hmm. intervals and rhythms and everything else, you know?
1: I think that's what I find so kind of fascinating about this idea of the pictorial. Like I was talking to my students about that and I was like, look at this picture. I was like, this, is, this isn't a painting, it's a photograph. And hmm. then I was like, look at this painting. This is pictorial. This is not a photograph, it's its own logic that everything is, is helping everything else to help you believe that this is reality. And the language is the same and it's speaking to itself in such a way. And that's the pictorial. It's not necessarily that it's describing something real. Right. Because I would say that your, your abstract paintings are absolutely pictorial. Um, but there's something about, and I am seeing it in this image, the Feast of, of the Gods too, just thinking about it, looking at that. There's something like there it's holding itself up with this language. I don't know.
0: Yeah, like it, it sounds like you're you're explaining it very well to your students, the the way you're explaining it, the the fact that the justification for each part isn't whether it looks like something outside the painting. So the painting of the apple what makes the apple right isn't because it looks like the apple that I'm holding and eating in my hand. It's the way, it's because of the relationships within to the other parts of the painting. That's, that's what justifies the rightness of that apple.
1: Right.
0: It's like that idea of a, a
2: gestalt, like the, the total being more valuable than the sum of each of its parts. Like it, it creates something transcendent.
0: Yeah, and the, you know, the, I guess part of the problem I'm having with that is the, that sense that, that I really need of the feeling of a presence in the painting. And that sort of overrides this, that sort of the classic iconogra- iconographic organization or the all over organization, the sort of sense of, um, Completion that the all-over painters had, and the and the rules that govern it, or the iconographic um, art artists had, and the rules that govern that, and I sort of feel like that that's not coming into play in the work I'm making. So, although maybe it is, I'm not sure. But what what do you think the biggest challenge for you in your painting is? Maybe I just said it. Get in the presence? That. No, I'm not really sure actually. Like I, I'm uh, right now, I'm sort of thinking about these bushfire paintings and, um, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, in these paintings, I feel that the challenge is sort of uh, revealing itself to me the last sort of week. And uh, it's, um, you know, how can I um, Am I going to am I going to let these paintings just go straight to a completion or or is there going to be a longer journey where other things come in and how will that play out um,
1: I think that's that's your answer right there about you know whether your paintings have presence or whatever I think you're saying that that decision I think is a big part of that that willful Oh
0: yeah thing. yeah you're right yeah so that you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I feel a little bit nervous just saying, just talking about that, like right now, sitting in the room with these paintings, because I, I don't know the answer to that. Like, how, how will I get there? What's, what's being asked of me in these paintings? Like, um, it doesn't feel right to just continue working the way I am, you know, not with these paintings, but just to, it feels like something dramatic's got to happen. Like, it's sort of slowly building to some sort of dramatic event you know um, but also there's a, a bunch of sort of more figurative works that I've been working on the last year and so how are they going to play out you know
1: those drawings
0: the drawings and then the the sort of the paintings with sand and ink and oil paint and stuff I think I've put some up on the website recently
1: is it the one that's called the planes or, or watercolor and other fluids or uh Drawing 21 20
0: it's probably the 21 21 stuff okay let me have a look I haven't looked at it for a bit now
1: these are all these feel super figurative these drawings kind of
0: are they spiggling.
1: pencil yeah some some could be ink or charcoal charcoal
0: does brush be, yeah just the 2021 paintings the, the thing that says
1: 2021
0: ah, okay bring to the saw. So these have all come out of the figure,
1: right? I love these ones. These are freaking phenomenal.
0: Thank you. And so you know, I'm like, I don't know what to make of them yet. What what they are, if they work, you know, I I, I just don't know. So. um they feel healthy. <laughs> they won. They won.
1: They feel healthy.
0: Oh, that's good. They <laughs> they. The, uh, you know, some have been, have, have now gone, like they've been painted over. I'm looking at this now, but a lot are still here. So, but that's sort of what I'm, I'm working on a lot of, the, there's a lot, like I've got like, uh, most of these are about either two foot square or about 16 by 20 inch. And that 16 by 20 inch size, I've got maybe a couple of hundred of. So they're all, you know, some off canvases ready that I'm sort of working on. So there's there's a lot that I'm trying. And you know, do I go bigger with them? Am I feeling it? You know, I just don't know right now.
1: This one that you've done here, it's got a, a bit of yellow and it's white inside. It almost has like a baby figure with black squiggles kind of rolling around inside of it. I don't know how to it's not titled, so I don't know how to explain. Which
0: it. one is it? Which, which uh Like that one?
1: No, it looks like a baby head on one, and and it's like on all fours. It's white. And they back. Oh,
0: I know the one one you're talking about. Yeah. Yes.
1: That seems related to your drawings. Yeah. In a big way. Yeah. Somehow related to the other paintings as well. Yeah. 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 What are you thinking about that one?
0: That, you know, I'm trying. What I'm trying to do is um, the thing that's happened with the drawings is that something good's happened over the last year, where I've and, and I'm sort of putting myself inside my own body, basically, mm. and sort of trying to build the form from the inside out. So, um, and it and it gets a, it gets a little weird, you know. Sometimes it it, it feels feminine. Sometimes it's masculine. Like it's it's and I see it as all sorts of sides of myself Mm. and so and the drawings they used to be even when I tried to do that even a few years ago I was still looking at the, the bodies from the outside so I could construct them or work of them but coming at them from the outside going in and now they feel like I'm just moving around and coming out and so they don't always end up being figurative but And so I'm trying to find a way and I do them in the middle of the night with my eyes closed. So I sort of have made it a thing that I wake up and whatever time I wake up, I just sit and don't turn any lights on and just try to feel my way from the inside out. And I'm trying to work out how, if I can do that with paint. And so that's one of the ones that came about and it's complex because with pain, I'm doing it in the studio with the lights on. And so already it's very different and I'm using all these materials. So I'm not, you know, I, I get messy. And and yeah. so, you know, I, I don't quite know how to do it yet. When I when I was uh, lucky enough to sit in on some
2: of your online classes at the league, which I really love, by the way, um, you mentioned to a student... Not to surround a shape and fill it in, but to work from the inside and push out. Yeah. And you're talking about that now. What, what's the value in terms of painting of that it, to, to
0: you? What was that recommendation about? So if you, think of, um, if you think of a painting by de Kooning, so if you think of Easter Monday at the Med or Police Gazette, you know, the shapes that he's making, he's making from the inside out. Hmm. And so what it does is it gives that shape, just the fact that you're working with your brush from the in, and you begin, say, on a dot and you work out, a couple of things happen. So you're first of all giving that shape an energy that's coming from the inside. Hmm. And then secondly, you're finding the edge of that shape from that activity that began at the inside of that shape. So the, the edge is there because of the energy. And now that edge is now the edge between that shape and the shape next to it. So you've basically got this edge that's the boundary between two shapes. And that edge is now where it's at because of the energy of those two shapes, which is different to me drawing in some shapes and filling them in. The logic of the drawing of the shapes is the energy is this way along the line. Mm -hmm. I draw a triangle, I go, you know, three edges like that. And the energy really is within the, the energy of that line going this way. It's not this way within the shape.
1: The relationship between the two budding chunks of information is what makes the line meaningful.
0: Yeah. And then also something weird happens. So. If the if the colors relate to each other in a certain way, then one color will sh- one shape will shift forward and the other will shift back. And so the f- form gets made by the fact that of, of that of that interaction. So suddenly, if you think of Albers, how he floated those those squares on top of each other. Um, know he was much more designery in that he'd planned that out so he had to get the the color exactly right so there was that shift but hoffman's not doing that he's literally trying to find the right color and the right placement so that there's they just sit in a different spatial um, position Hmm. and so i'm there's a there's something that happens between space depth of space and flatness A coming together of that flatness and the depth of space If you're making the shapes with the energy coming from within. Like finding the shapes that way. I heard someone talk
2: about Rubens, an an old teacher of mine. And he would say that, you know, how he makes these rhythms with bodies and things like spatial rhythms. And he would say that a lot of those push in. And he would say that strong shapes push in, weak shapes sort of like push out. I think that's kind of interesting,
0: almost like what you're talking about. You're pushing out a shape. Yeah, and it's with Rubens is sort of different, but but so he's that teacher was saying strong strong shapes push in and weak shapes push out. Strong shapes push in the picture plane was what he was saying. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you, Rubens definitely plays with temperature in a really interesting way. So he's he's literally shifting shapes so they lay down and sit back and doing all sorts of things and therefore other shapes pop forward hmm. so he's, he's you know he's a master of that like it's it's really clear in pretty much every every painting i've seen and really discernible in the in the sort of studies he made for patrons of you know where they'd sign off on the works what they were to be oh uh, those are great yeah yeah so he's just very quickly he would just you know push the space back and bring the forms forward and and uh, gain clarity. Um, what what do you think of someone like Caravaggio having more of a
2: theatrical sense of space, a little a little flatter?
0: You know, I've been looking a bit at Caravaggio lately, and we've been we've started talking about him a bit in that you know the class you just mentioned. Um, I'm sort of intrigued by him, actually, like he, um, he's, you know, the lighting makes it theatrical, obviously, like the intense lighting and the dark and light. But the, you know, the way he's moving his forms, like the way he activates the space, the, um, the space is sort of like a, you know, it's, it's dark, but it's a sort of a pretty clear room. It's a, it's a big space. Hmm. Often it's, 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 a, and it's, and you don't get a sense that he's the, the, the dialogue is coming through the, the, the spatial movement is activated by the, the dialogue of figures, the movement of figures that whether there's a hand thrusting forward with, with a, you know, holding a head or whether there's a, an arm going back or, you know, all the sort of thrusts of figurative forms that are happening within the space really activate that space in a very very plastic way but the space itself isn't working in dialogue with this it's not thrusting and moving in the same way that the figures are Mm. and sort of you know I'm thinking about that in terms of abstract painting like well how do we when we're already you know those those sort of Kandinsky paintings uh, you know those compositions that he made are sort of composition six and seven, where he got to the point where he was really thrusting volumes of abstract form in different directions, but also answering that with uh, corresponding respondences of space, spatial movements. So there's, there was more like a, a sort of fabric of space happening in his painting than, say, in, in Caravaggio. Hmm. I mean, Caravaggio really achieves that unity through the, the, the painterly mark, you know, that uniform surface, that beautiful surface that he gets. Peter, I have uh,
2: one, one question for our listeners who are mainly representational painters. Okay. What would you say to them uh, if they wanted to start out on this Cause you're like painting at such a high level. And I would think if someone wants to try letting go of forms or talking to a painting, like you're and listening, like you're talking about, how would you recommend they, they start on that journey? You know?
0: So, so I get, I get that question all the time at the league because it, like it, over the years, it, it, you know, teaching in person, I get, a bunch of people coming into the class who've been painting in the academic classes for years and they get shut down so they come into my class and go how how can I break from that what do I do and we we work from a model and we basically just focus on shapes hmm. so we just break it down we just think of shapes and then we think of planes what those shapes are doing in a planar sense and and then how those planes are working in relation to each other. And and sort of at that level, it starts to get interesting where where we start to look at, you know, one shape sitting next to another shape and what are they doing? Because now we're in dialogue with the painting and that Mm. sort of opens up a can of worms. Once that happens. Mm. Such a great answer. Um, But for myself, it just happened in life drawing and sort of, Um, thinking back really early on, um, almost in response to what some of the other, it was sort of one of those life drawing untutored classes that you go to. And I used to go to one at Raw. It was at Raw Galleries, which is like an artist run gallery in Melbourne. And I, I live right around the corner. So I'd go there a couple of nights a week, sort of outside of the drawing classes at uni and stuff. And there were artists there who came in Every night and did exactly the same thing so it didn't matter who the model was didn't matter whether it was rainy or sunny outside whatever was going on their works looked the same and I I think I sort of rebelled against that and and um, started just um, when everyone else started drawing I would just sort of stand there and try to take in what was going on you know there was a model there was a space it was lit it had it had you know it was always felt different and Hmm. just tried to make myself become aware of what I was noticing and what I was responding to and be and be sort of simple about that you know yeah that that sort of sense of that triangle in the space is what I'm really noticing so just try to sort of say it to myself Hmm. and then I would just start drawing and sort of I was thinking about this the other day it was it's I've no, I've not really ever moved on from that idea of just starting quietly and noticing and listening. Hmm. That's it.
2: I mean, I feel like I feel so motivated after this conversation to, <laughs> to <laughs> think <laughs> I think I'm I'm one of those painters like that's in oftentimes in a trap of just being literal and you know, I get paid for being literal and that kind of thing, but then it's like. I, I'm I'm very motivated to listen more and, and attempt getting further out on some limbs, you know. This has been great, Peter.
0: I'm glad Thank you so much I'm for glad talking
1: with us. I think you're gonna really uh, expand our, our viewers' minds with this this uh, really in-depth interview about your process. Thank you. My thanks pleasure.
0: For you. Thanks for the great questions, guys. Yeah, thanks, Peter. <laughs> It was so much fun.
2: Yeah, yeah. it was. <laughs> I'd love to pop back in in your class every now and again when I when I have time. Your your depart that foundation department was from Mercedes as well, basically. Because, yeah, she did Yeah, and, and and she hosted that figure drawing group. That uh, Philip Pearlstein would go and then he got a job that way through her, I believe, in that group. So it's really interesting. All these.
0: Yeah, Charles Kajori was part of that group as well. Uh, <laughs> I think Philip Gustin
2: was in that group too.
0: Yeah. And they, and it's interesting because they used to hire two models to come and model for them. And Pearlstein and Kajori pretty much made a lot of their work with two models. Oh. Ah. So literally, conceptually, like their work didn't change much from that. What they were doing in the figure in the figure drawing group. Ah, oh, that's so true. It's amazing, and it just makes me. It reminds me all the time that you know you don't have to actually do too much. You just got to have one good idea and then just do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for for branding, it's even better.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I wish I could do that, but I. <laughs> Keep saying it to myself, but then I don't do it. But oh man, So those big
2: paintings that you're working on currently, do they do they feel difficult to you? So from an outsider looking in, they look like Willie Mays catching a ball, like something so difficult that he made look easy. He glides, you know. And these, they look like somebody who does something so well
0: that it's easy. Would, would you say that? Well, I mean, I, I love hearing that. <laughs> um, and they, you know, they haven't been, at the moment they've just been fun. Like they, there's been nothing hard about them. There's been this one part of one of the paintings where I, I sort of started questioning, like, like there was a shift in the a, in a, in a direction. And I went with it and it it might have, like I said before, might've been a wrong step, Hmm. but not a wrong step in terms of, in terms of, you know, uh, I've ruined it, but just um, it went a direction. And then I could see that it had to go another direction. So I had to sort of undo that first direction and that undoing is part of the painting. Obviously it's sort of organic. It's almost like, you know, we are the sum of all the good and bad deeds we've committed in our lives and that's what makes us great, you know, and interesting and special. So that's how I think of the paintings.
1: That was, fun. That was fantastic.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Sophia. Thank you, no Marshall. Problem. Thank you. Good luck with your work.
1: You yeah. too. Get those paintings out there.
0: Okay. Yeah,
2: I look forward to seeing the progress on Instagram. Okay.
1: See you later,
2: Bye. man.
0: Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening. And I hope you got some good painting done while we entertain you with our amazing guest, If you like what you're hearing, follow and subscribe to our podcast if you haven't done so yet. And if you're so inclined, rate us whether you love or hate us. We love hearing all the different opinions and appreciate the feedback. You can reach out to us at artgrindpodcast at gmail.com or DM us on IG at artgrindpodcast. You faithful listeners have the power to help us grow. So please spread the word. It's free and you'll feel good about it. So until next time. Stay on the grind while we fill your
1: mind.